whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today fled San Diego for New York in search of an education, seasons, and deep existential despair and wound up co-hosting the Worst of All Possible Worlds podcast. It's AJ Diddy, everybody! Hi, everybody! I'm so excited to be doing? here. Thank you for oh, having me, Patrick. I am excited that you are here as well. I've been recently connected by, we should mention Jake Beckard before he... Starts crying. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, he's in the corner of my room right now waiting for his oh. evening meets. So I'll feed okay. them as soon as he <laughs> earns it. Toss them. Yes. He knows what he did. Uh, <laughs> but yes, it was lovely enough to to connect us and uh, been greatly enjoying the worst of all possible worlds. Oh, thank uh, you so much. Since he did. And um, we'll definitely talk about that and the the <laughs> the gross grotesque or the examination of our grotesque culture i should probably say yeah sure uh, but before we get into that i should say you're here to talk about high fidelity the musical i will be double by with a bullet like a tape that's on rewind playing in your head messing with your mind yeah yeah Like a bullet in, in your, your brain. brain. The thing the whole world wanted. They were clamoring for it, Patrick. Shaking down the gates of Broadway. It's one of those things where I remember I was in my mid-20s mm-hmm. when this came out. Yeah. And I remember I was living in L.A., I'm pretty sure. Or at least about to. And oh, wow. yeah. I remember hearing about it. And hearing about it, it's like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then suddenly hearing nothing about it. And ask, I remember talking to somebody like, oh, yeah, that closed. I was like, oh, okay, wow. I did it, okay, never mind. 13 uh, on, then just gone. Just yeah. gone for forever. But we have a cast album, and it has its acolytes. It uh, has some people who a record, adore it. I should a say, they've That's crossed true. out original Broadway cast, cast recording and written album. the record on the it. The record, yes, for your CD. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, which is just, you know, great. If that's how you bought it. Well, 2007, you probably did buy it on CD if you, if you picked this one up. I certainly did. Um, but I have to ask, uh, how did High Fidelity come into your life? Okay, so like most musicals I had when I was a kid, it came into my life because of the soundtrack section of the Barnes & Noble in Escondido, California, where I would just peruse cast albums uh as they would come out that's how i discovered chess but this this one was uh it jumped out at me because it had i remember it has the yellow on it it's like this splash of like graffiti yellow Mm -hmm. and i also had never heard of it i didn't like read any articles about it coming out i knew nothing about it and i bought the cd and when i got home you know i went on my computer and i went looking for it and the ben brantley review was the first thing i came across Mm -hmm. which was vicious and like Mm. the most forgettable musical of all time like well i have to know now right (laughs) like stop selling ben i'm already here Yeah, no i'm on board (laughs) i i feel like i take in bad musicals like stray cats like i have to feed these things and try and like figure out like how to fix them and i mean everything that he says in that review is pretty much accurate i think Mm -hmm. but he doesn't quite get it like 
exactly how much the score doesn't meld together. Mm-hmm. And I don't I also don't think he quite gets at the depth of the show. There are a couple of songs in here that rule. This is a bad show that has one or two moments of like musical theater heaven. And I can't stop thinking about it. Like, it, it burrowed <laughs> itself into my psyche at 16 and has, like, lodged itself there for literally 16 years. A whole other life of me has been thinking <laughs> about this show that was never meant to be thought about this much, I don't think. Well, see, because that's the th- So, I mean, this has... This is one of those shows where it makes perfect sense to me that someone thought this was a good idea. Yeah, to make this a musical. It's a you know, it's a book, very successful book, then a very successful movie. Mm-hmm. Great, great title, great title recognition. It's got We've music. Got, it's based on music. It's based on music. We've got Tom Kitt. We've got Amanda Green. The team that is about to bring you bring on, bring it on the musical is going to bring you High Fidelity the musical first. You've we have got David Pulitzer, Lindsay a bear, <laughs> Pulitzer Prize winner to write the book. Yeah, how could this fail? Well. Pretty easily, it seems. Uh, I so I think for people. So, so I my 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 journey with High Fidelity. Yes, is I read the book when it came out. I was in college. Hmm. By the time I got to it, it was in paperback. By the time I got to it, um, and loved it as we all did. It was it was one of those weird things because like in college, I feel like even in the in the late nineties. People weren't reading books a lot. You know what I mean? Like, I, sure. I came from... We were reading books in class, but we weren't, like... People weren't picking up fiction, necessarily, from the from the bookstore. Oh, absolutely. But but this was a book that people read. Like, most of my friends read this book. It was, like, this and Harry Potter. And Those were the two, mem- yeah. Memoirs of a Geisha were, like, the books that everybody oh, was reading. Because wow, a lot of us... Yeah. yeah. a lot of us thought it was about something else. But this was... <laughs> like, everybody read this book. Everybody loved this book. Everybody then devoured, like, Nick Hornby's catalog at that point which i think was only three books yeah yeah yeah. and and then we saw the movie and like i think the movie's really fun i i don't i I like it the more i see it the first time i saw it i was pretty disappointed in it because it basically because it wasn't sure because you had read the book first i love the book yeah Yeah. and that's the way that goes once i got over myself i found i enjoyed it quite a bit (laughs) um but this show i have to say so i i got this album a long time ago i think it was around the time friend of the show jay schmidt said he really mm. really liked it and i was like i should check that out i never listened to it yeah and i got it and i immediately forgot it yeah <laughs> like it it just went in as brantley foretold the other and so then listening to it a couple of times to talk to you, I found it to be one of those shows that I just had a lot of trouble clinging on, like holding on to. I kept would like walk out of the room, you know, and it'd be on, and I'd come back, and I'd be like, all right, I'm supposed to be listening to this. I have to be paying attention. And yeah, it no. just like it wouldn't stick. And I, oh man, it was just so bizarre. Well, I mean, it's also, there are quite a few songs on this album that I would skip all the mm-hmm. time i'm sorry oh, record gosh, yeah. there were a lot of songs on this record that Does i would anyone have skip. The, hang on for a second write in if you have this on vinyl <laughs> send me an email with a picture yeah original cast pod at gmail.com of you holding this on vinyl i will send you a t-shirt yeah <laughs> I, I will buy the vinyl from you i would i need it like i absolutely need it um yeah, no, like there are so many songs, even when I was like, you know, 16, listening to this for the first time, I was like, oh, yeah, you can skip like most of these, you know, um, yeah. there it flows in and flows out. That being said, though, this opening number fucking rules. But then I think, where would I go? Find- 
market bring your ass and park it at the last real record store owner. This ain't no towers, this ain't no towers, this ain't no coconuts, and this ain't no soulless, sanitized, corporate, third Reich fucking Walmart. All right, Barry. They're sucking the blood out of the little guys. No it ha- it's so long. It's seven minutes long. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's almost, like, it's four minutes shy of the Into the Woods prologue, but, like, you don't learn anything, and nothing really happens, like, you don't get a real sense of any of these characters, but it, it slaps so hard, uh... I, I defy anyone when they reach the point of where would I go? What would I do without it? This is all I'm living for to not mm-hmm. be like thrusting their hands in the air. And when the three guys, you know, Dick, Barry and Rob all start singing at once, they've got blues and soul and R&B and they, you know, ska punk and new wave added on underneath that. And then uh, hip hop, pop and rock like the build in that is just it's so electric. It makes you understand why these losers love this music store. In a way that the rest of the whole, the rest of the album kind of feels a little bit nondescript. This feels hyper specific. The problem is, is that I think it's the opening song for a You've Got Mail musical, which is called She Loves Me, and it already exists and it rules. It already happens. Yeah, right? they did it first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, Your next Nancy Myers adaptation. Yes, have, exactly. Uh, yeah, the last real bookstore on the west, on the Upper West Side. Yeah. Uh, well, but so here's the, the first question, though, I have to say, yes. is that in reading about it and reading for and not reading the the tome poem Inside High Fidelity mm-hmm. that you sent me that we will absolutely get to that there's a link to in the show notes, I promise you. Oh, um, boy. Good luck. Oh, Good luck, man, listeners. A, oof, gosh, uh, this is. But one thing they mentioned in the first section of that little piece mm-hmm. uh, that I did read yeah. from the New Line Theater of St. Louis, Missouri, mm-hmm. was that. There was a conscious effort made to rewrite this story, to readapt it to the stage. Yes. There it is not just a straight adaptation of the the book and the movie. The movie, as much as I say, like, it wasn't the book, it, it very much is the book. It, it follows the structure of the book. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense it, into that kind of uh, 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 adaptation structure. Yeah. So, but, like, this doesn't. This really, aside from the, the general premise yeah. and the characters, it does... Veer because the book is and the movie are ostensibly about Rob and Laura break up, yes. And Rob goes on a journey with his top five breakups to in, like talk to all the girls who broke his heart and find try to figure out what's wrong with him, yes. As like, and, and his is there been a is there something he can learn from that as a constant through line to then improve himself, ostensibly, right? And then there's other things that happen, but this doesn't do that, correct? No, no, um, in fact, the top five. Uh, we were introduced to them in the second song in the show, uh, My Desert Island uh, All-Time f- Top Five mm-hmm. Breakups. Uh, right. But then he doesn't solve that problem until Act Two, and it's all in and one he song. he solves it in one song. Okay, good. Yeah. I was not misunderstanding what was happening. Yes. Uh, so, like, you know, Charlie Nicholson, I think, in the movie and the book is a much bigger thing. Uh, I'm a little bit more blurry on like the book because it was a lot I read it a really long Mm -hmm. time ago but in the movie you know it's Catherine Zeta-Jones and she's just absolutely killing it and you know she she was a big star at that point so it was like a uh, you know it was a star turn for her but uh, yeah no almost absent from the musical entirely Um, yeah the musical really makes a lot of time for the side characters it it 
the th- hmm. okay so i have this theory that every playwright when they're adapting something they cling on to like one concept for dear life and that's like their champion that's the mm, thing that, mm-hmm. their favorite thing about it and sure. to david lindsay bear it seems as though his favorite thing is the most pathetic man in the world uh which is a minor character i think in both the novel and the movie but he really wanted to build him up more as like a mirror image of Rob so that the mm-hmm. scene where they, you know, in act two where they actually face each other and the most pathetic man in the world is like, Hey, you know, you kind of remind me of me. Mm-hmm. And then he's just like, Oh God, like I am, <laughs> I am the most pathetic man in the world. It's actually mm-hmm. me. That's really what he sort of globbed onto and like championed throughout the show because most of Rob's monologues are almost verbatim from the movie and from the book. Like the whole mm-hmm. bit where he's talking about all the times, all the reasons Laura's mad at him, you know, how you yeah. know, she got pregnant and then uh, she terminated the pregnancy and it was because of a thing that he said. And, yeah. you know, and well, and he, he cheated on her, right? Yeah, and he cheated yeah. on her. Yeah, on her and it was a thing. Yeah, there was a whole. Yeah. Because I, I wanted to read the libretto for this because, you know, Brantley spends a lot of time in his review talking about how they sort of sanitized Rob and all the characters in it, just made them like squeaky Broadway clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to see if they had like cut all that stuff, right? If they had mm-hmm. like cut that he cheated and cut that, you know, she had gotten pregnant and that she had terminated the pregnancy and all that. And it's all in there. It's all still hmm. in there. But based on the stuff that I watched from, like, the B-roll footage and all, like, the performances that you can find, there are no slime tutorials for this on YouTube. Uh, I tried. Try as I might. I could not find a single slime (laughs) tutorial for High Fidelity. Um, Because, again, it ran 13 performances, so who had the time? Hello, beautiful people. Quick side note for those of you who don't know, a slime tutorial is internet slang for a bootleg. No one's entirely sure uh, when it originated, but it was something that was come up with to uh, obfuscate the YouTube um, search parameters so that YouTube wouldn't take bootlegs down. Instead of titling the video Wicked Complete Bootleg, it would be titled Green Girl Slime Tutorial so that the YouTube powers that be would not take it down. Anyway, back to the show within the show there is like still a lot of grit and grime but the direction was completely broadway razzmatazz the whole time mm. uh and i think it i don't know i don't know if this show could have been saved in a way that the guy who wrote that article thinks that this is like a masterpiece that was like destroyed by the hands of broadway but based it, on all the evidence we have i don't know man i don't well, know because it it has had a successful life in regional theater oh wow um in the sense that it gets done you know what i mean like somewhat regularly i think how much of that is based purely on name recognition i don't know right and certain broadway yeah yeah, and certain broadway flops can do really well in regional theater if they flop so hard and literally like there's that sweet spot where they flop so hard nobody heard about it but not so hard that everybody heard about it right 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 they can do really well regionally because it's like, oh, I must have missed that when it was in New York. I didn't hear it. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, well, I'll go check it out. Yeah. And I think this is one of those where it kind of came and went and everybody forgot about it. And it pops up on your you know, regional production or whatever. It's like, oh, I didn't know they made a musical out of that. I'll go check it out. Yeah, or in your Spotify and, shuffle when you've reached the end of a Broadway cast album and it starts you on last to a record store right. on Earth. And you're like, oh, this is pretty oh, fun. Oh, this is good. Yeah. yeah this and is you can put on the pop. you can put on your, your mailers and stuff, you know, from the Pulitzer Prize winning writers, Tom Kitt and yeah. Dick David. I mean, it's like, you know. Oh, okay, great. It's, it's wild to me. And also the fact that David Lindsay Abair apparently 
I, I look, I have not seen Kimberly Akimbo. I've heard really good things, but it's amazing yeah, to me that great. he cannot write a musical without a slur in it. What is wrong with this man? Why, why does he keep doing this to himself? Well, he's edgy, you know. Yeah, edgy. yeah. It was 2006. You know, PC culture was just taking over America, man. <laughs> we had to fight back with our high fidelity musical. Oh, I don't. It's funny. He had this and Rabbit Hole the exact same year. What a year for him. What a year for him. And what a terrible year for Will Chase. Can we talk about Will Chase's no good, very bad year? Yeah, we can talk about Will Chase as 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 Rob. He's all over the posters. This is okay. So here's here's the thing before we talk about Will Chase. Yes. okay. uh, What is so funny to me about this show is that it's one of those things where I think that the fact that they couldn't come up with a compelling poster is a huge problem. No, really, like, it's <laughs> yeah. not something I often think about, but, like, I, I think a lot about poster design, mm-hmm. as people listen to this podcast know, and I don't like the trend that happened sometime in the 2000s where it's, like, photos of the cast becomes the, the po- you know, it's just lazy. Like, Bridges of Madison County, I think it's just one of the worst Broadway posters ever. Sure, yeah. Because it looks like a movie. But... That can be done well if you use good iconography. I think Waitress is a good example of that. Of like, it's Absolutely. got the actor in it, but you can recreate that poster over and over and over and over again, and yeah. you can even like draw it, and it makes perfect sense. Just gotta have the pot, right? The poster for this show <laughs> is just Will Chase on the street in black and white, like looking at the camera. Yeah, and so if you're not on board with that, whatever yeah. that is, like, <laughs> he's not even in like, a record store. It's not the record itself, like right. It'd be better if it was nothing, if it was the cover of the record, if it was just like high fidelity. Like, and you'd be like, oh, okay, they made a musical high fidelity. They don't even have so, the excuse that Tom Stoppard's Rock and Roll took their poster first because it came out after this. Afterwards, it came out later. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, they really super biffed it. But anyway, yeah, so they throw Will Chase out there front and center. Mm-hmm. He's the guy. He's going to be our star. Yeah. He's sure fresh is. off rent. And, ah, uh, no. Here's the worst oh, part. Fresh from Lennon. He had just done oh. the John Lennon musical the year before. Oh, so within a calendar goodness. year, he went from one of Broadway's biggest flops to the second of Broadway's biggest flops. This poor man, this oh poor two by four with googly eyes is thrown from one musical to another <laughs> with absolutely like no safety net. Look, and here's the other thing. I feel for the guy because I think he actually has a really good voice, but mm-hmm. this score is too high for him. It's too high for oh, everyone. That's interesting. Yes. It's I feel that. It's literally like it's like musical theater has followed the way of capitalism and not just mm-hmm. in that everything has to be bigger and broader, but also the notes and the like the line for money has to go up. So we've just had this like increase in like the height of notes that people have to hit in shows. And high mm-hmm. fidelity, if you look at the vocal score, there is one role uh, that only has to sing a D, I think, and then every other role has to sing above the bar. Like, every male role is a tenor beyond that. And it's like, oh, I, that's, I think, a big reason why it's not done, really, in a lot of regional theater, or, like, a lot of, like, youth theaters, like high schools and stuff. Because mm-hmm. yeah, you could yeah. do, like, a junior version of this, you know, pretty easily, sure. I think. But yeah. no one can sing it, because it's too high. Because it was right. too high for the original cast. Oh, man. That is so funny. You point that because it's like I'm also now realizing that there's like that 
screamy screechy acdc number which is super yeah. high and is good which one is that is that uh that is um is conflict that... resolution Town, leave the country little bitch you're gonna feel my rage you're gonna look back at ten phone calls a night that's a motherfucking golden age Which is two-thirds good and one part yes. indefensible. Yeah. <laughs> I'll play both parts for you. How about we leave it at this? I'm so tired of hearing your mouth run. Popped a cap on your ass, now you're done, son. Attention shoppers, there's blood on the floor. We got a 187 on IO4. Now you know how much your life is worth. This was your last. Real record store on Earth. 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 Uh, but it is that, like, it, but that's so late in the show. It's now occurring to me that he's got to do that yeah. late in Act Two. Yeah. And yeah, that's going to be hard to get to. Well, it's amazing because I, I, there's there's B-roll footage of, like, Last Real Record Store on Earth. Um, bafflingly, She Goes, that one line in She Goes specifically is on film. And one of the few things you can actually see from the show is someone just dropping a slur, which is fun. Um, but sure. for Last Real Record Store on Earth, he the, the highest note in the song, he has to hit it. And in the B-roll, he doesn't quite get there. And this was this was like the footage they were sending out to places. So you can only imagine like a a nightly basis, like what was actually right. happening with, was that, he with actually... that show. Because he has to save yeah. his voice because he has so many things to belt in Act Two. I, 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 yeah, the show baffles me. The show the show confounds and baffles me. And I'm so glad you had me on to talk about it because. <laughs> it, it, uh, the, the, the lads of the worst of all possible world were never going to let me talk about high fidelity no, musical. There's no, no world because it's 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 such a it's such a nothing sandwich. And yet, and yet, <laughs> every once in a while, that broken clock is right. I got it. So what, what? Yeah, what's what's some stuff in it that is is broken clock for you? Okay, so last for records are on Earth. Um, I think is is really really great. Uh. The what's very confusing about this show is that Dick and Barry, uh, who uh, in the movie Barry is played by Jack Black. Uh, yes, it was his his he gives star making I, part. Yeah, no, he should have yeah. he should have won an Oscar honestly for that role. Like he is so unbelievably good. He elevates every line he's given. You still believe that this is this really gross asshole that just lives in this record store. Like, right. It, it, it's an incredible performance. But the guy playing Dick, who is the other role in the musical, is doing a Jack Black impression, or he sounds a lot like Jack Black. So for a mm-hmm. long time, I got the two roles switched up because I'm like, oh, they just cast it because he sounds like the movie mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. But, you know, that's the least right. of this musical's problems. Um, I think Desert Island Top 5 Breakups, which is the second song in the show, um, which is Rob's I Want song, but... It's it's a secret I sort want of. song because he can't right. come out and say what he wants, which is Laura. Uh, and so the whole thing is him not saying what he wants. So it gets a little, I don't know. I don't know if that's brilliant or just kind of meh. Uh, but I mean, it might be one of those two clever by half moments. Interesting. Where it's yeah. like it's too 
you know, you, you're too deep in the pie at that point. Like, it's an mm-hmm. I want song, but it's not an I want song because you can't say it's an I want. Like, so, okay, you've overthought it. Like, we need to know who our character is and Ab- what he wants. And <laughs> he has to say it out loud. Because yeah. he really, I, I'm not a hard and fast, like, it's got to be an I want song and it's got to be this long. And oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy. But there's a reason those rules exist. Yeah. And if you're not going to do that, that's fine. But you have to know you're not doing it and know you're going to make up for the thing somewhere anywhere it literally anywhere yeah and they 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 don't they they never super never do super duper don't weirdly the i want song is my favorite song in the show but that's the second to last song in the show and that's really late well which is which is a which is a way you can go yeah i mean if it's a show about a guy who doesn't know what he wants and then the show is about him figuring out what he wants right cool like that's great, that, and that's interesting for a musical. To then, like you say, have the "I Want" song be the finale. It's kind of like Gypsy, which you know, the "I Want" song is the finale, right? Or or so company, like, actually. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly right. It it is that like you finally get to the point where he makes up his mind, and that's where we're and we're like, oh great, we're all rooting for him in that moment to do it. Yeah. Uh, this this is not that though. <laughs> nope. Sure is sure is not <laughs> that, that hasn't been his problem. What is his problem, do you think, AJ? What, what is his problem? Uh, is his Ro- problem? I mean, Rob Gordon the... is sort of like the living embodiment of well, actually. Uh, and <laughs> it, <laughs> like this was very popular, right? When the book was written, it's this sort of, um, uh, a re- you know, uh, a mid guy in his mid 30s who has arrested development, um, mostly mm-hmm. season five in terms of quality of this musical. Um, but like he. Yeah, I think he's just he just can't grow up. He's so obsessed with the things that he likes, this music. He's built his entire personality on that that he's realized that now at 35, he actually doesn't have a personality and that these things that once made him happy no longer make him happy. And the thing that did make him happy, Laura, has just left him. And he's right. like, "Well, if I can't get happiness that way, then there must be something broken in me. So I will go out and I'll talk to all my exes and I'll figure out what's wrong with me. And there was such a cool opportunity for this musical to take that path, right? So like yeah. in, in Top 5, in Desert Island Top 5 Breakups, for example, you could have had all, each one of the exes have their own musical style, right? And then as he goes on his journey, he meets them and he has to like... I mean, it's Tales of Hoffman. It's it's you know sure. It's, it's, I mean, yes, it's a it's a very tro- I mean, it's an old trope for, it, for with no question. A, yeah. a very old trope, and you know, unlike Tales of Hoffman, this doesn't have a robot, a vampire, or a zombie. So no. instantly, uh, or a lower in my book, but right. or a septet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You've accidentally hit on like one of the two operas I've actually done. So it's like, oh wow! <laughs> in my life, so yeah. It's, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's one of the only ones I've ever really enjoyed. Um, oh, I love Tales there's of a whole, so much. I, I saw it in Prague, and uh, oh, through like wow. a whole series of mishaps, uh, I was studying abroad, and I had this giant, I, you know, I, I hadn't showered in like two weeks, and I was just sure. like this gross, like, college-age, like, wide-eyed idiot, and I wandered into the <laughs> Prague National Theater, uh, and I was like, do you have a ticket for tonight? And they were like, well, we don't have a ticket, but uh, that woman over there might. And uh, there was a woman who was scalping tickets, and, oh, wow. you know, uh, she, was in a, she was in a very nice dress. And I said, um, you know, mm. I heard you had a ticket for me. Uh, she's like, yes, uh, 500 kroner. And she didn't speak a lot of English, but 500 sure. kroner is like seven American dollars. Sure. So I was like, yeah, OK, sure, I'll take that. Right. Uh, so we go inside and um, there's three things I notice immediately. Uh, one, uh, I am in a very nice orchestra seat. 
too. Ooh. Uh, there is an orchestra pit with like a 50 piece orchestra or like just like an absurd number of musicians in this orchestra pit. And three, everyone around me is in tuxes. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know what the third thing is. So we go through the whole play. And it was the first time ever seeing it. And, the you know, The Tales of Hoffman is, is I think, one of the best stories, I think, in opera. Like, even if you're not a mm. huge, like, opera fan, if you're not there for the arias, it is a really compelling story. Um, yeah. Of, you know, of a really great storyteller telling three completely different little vignettes that turns out, oh, surprise, they were all, you know, his lover all along. Right. And uh, and afterwards, like, I was just, like, beside myself, right? And, uh, I and they're turned... wildly different, the three the three stories oh wildly yeah different wildly tones, wildly different themes um, and and like one's full comedy one's full tragedy yeah. one's kind of somewhere in the middle it's yeah they're they're really really interesting the physicist aria is that the one where the guy hits the high note to simulate a female yes. orgasm yeah yes yeah. yeah 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 it rules yeah and this well it's also offenbach who is a horny bastard yeah, so, yeah, yeah we yeah. love horny yeah, opera makers stuff. oh we sure do um, they're the best but yeah, no, uh, at the end of the show, uh, I turned to the woman who was sitting next to me who had sold me the ticket, and sure. I said, uh, thank you so much for the ticket. What did you think of the show? And she, you know, didn't speak a lot of English, so she said, well, what did you think? And I said, well, I, you know, okay, so she doesn't know a lot of English. I'm just going to throw some adjectives at her. She can throw them back at me. This conversation mm-hmm. could be over. I said, I thought it was brilliant. I've never mm-hmm. seen a show, uh, an opera that, like, entranced me that way. The staging was magnificent. Like, the singers were just out of this world but please please tell me mm-hmm. tell me what did you think and she said well of course i liked it and i said of course what a charmingly european right. thing to say <laughs> yes why right. of course and why she of said course. i directed it it was <laughs> opening night of the prague opera the director's date had ditched her and i was her date <laughs> oh my god yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So I love the Tales of Hoffman. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> so much so much better than High Fidelity, the musical. Um, so there was, like you said, there was a way that you could have done this, like kind of structured it like the Tales of Hoffman, mm-hmm. right? You would have yeah. all the different X's and have them all have a different like musical motif and a different style, comedy, tragedy, or whatever. But mostly they're introduced and then brushed immediately to the side mm-hmm. because... Uh, we have to have Dick have a song called It's No Problem. Which is a great song. Which is actually very sweet. I Which like this is song a great a song. What's so funny, especially about that article you sent me that's like praising it for, for not being the movie. Yeah. Is like that is a line in the movie. Yeah. That they have now. They've done that thing, which I enjoy often when a musical adaptation from a movie does this. Yeah. Is it takes one line and makes it a four minute song. I, I do really like that idea. Yeah. And it's really when, like, Rob just says to Dick casually, he's, he said something to Barry, it's made him mad. Barry's left the store and he's like, Are you all right? Yeah, look, Dick, Laura and I broke up. She's gone. So if we ever see Barry again, maybe you can tell him that. Of course I will, Rob. No problem. No problem at all. I'll tell him next time I see him. Definitely. I've got some other stuff to tell him anyway, so it's no problem. I'll just tell him, you know, about Laura. Then, when I tell him the other stuff. And they make this a song where he's just, like, over-explaining that idea over just and over and over, over, and again. over again. It's no problem, I'll see him later at a gig. I'll probably start with your news first, because my news isn't big. 
just to tell him that this woman's gonna sing. So I'll bring it up before a good news, bad news kind of thing. I mean bad news, good news, cause he thinks the singer's great. Not that Laura is in tune or what I meant to say, no way. He told me so last fall, so it's no problem, it's no problem. And it's very sweet. Like they've set they've set Dick up to be in this in this musical to be like very much sweeter than his film version counterpart is very creepy and very odd. And you you feel for him, but it's also in that way it's just like, oh yeah, I, I know this very particular guy hanging around a record mm-hmm. store. This dick yeah. is like he's a little teddy bear. You know, you just you need to take care of him. You, this guy needs to be okay. Like you just need him to get out of this unscathed. And it sets up a really nice uh, payoff because he isn't allowed to finish the song. Right. uh, Because Rob cuts him off uh, before he can hit his high note, even though he's been scream belting the last like three or four lines. Because this musical is too high. Um, But then uh, it sets him up because he actually can't finish it without Anna, who is his love interest at the end. They get to do a nice reprise where they sing it together and it's very nice. Yes, which is a great reprise. I mean, it's it's another... Like you said, it's one of the it's it's a broken clock. This this this, this uh, that's that was a really satisfying moment on every listen. Was then that when the reprise came back and I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's no problem. Though our tastes may disagree, she may not like the things I like, but she says she likes me. And her laughing is my favorite sound by far. And I'm thinking it's not what you like that counts, but who you. to favorite Beatle. Mine is George. And mine is Paul. But it's no problem. It's no problem. It's no But you've just ticked in my in my head mm. a huge problem with this structural redo. Yeah, of high fidelity. Oh, because the thing that makes high fidelity so much of a novel mm-hmm. is that you're right. It's it it's not about Rob sets out at the beginning to be like, "There's something wrong with me in relationships, and I'm going to find that out." Right. And what he discovers in the novel and in the movie is is nothing. He doesn't really learn about his relationships. He just sort of like they're all different, and all these people, like all the breakups were justified. What he sort of learns is like, I guess right. like they were fine for their when they were, but we broke up, and that's fine, you know, like that's okay. And the people, and the, like you say, there's the big moment with the Catherine Zeta-Jones character in the movie where he realizes like, oh, she's terrible. Like yeah. that didn't work. I, I'm really glad, like that. I'm kind of lucky that relationship didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And then in both the book and the movie, Laura just comes back. Like she's just she comes back, but then yeah. the, what actually and he's like oh and for for what Rob believes the character he's like okay so the story's over now because I got Laura back, 
But then the movie and the book keep going. Yeah. And what you have is this next level where he signs a band, founds a label Mm -hmm. to release their single and throws a party and is a DJ. And like Laura has this great moment of like, I see something like you need you're creating something like you who have always been the critic who have been standing back are now joining the group of creators that needs to be celebrated. You need to not be shy about that. And that's his growth moment. He's growing from a critic to a creator, yeah. and which is a very novelist sort of sure. plot. Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. really works, you know what I mean? In the mu- musical, mm-hmm. <laughs> that does not happen. Hey, hey, sing- Patrick, hey, Patrick, what happens? What happens well, in the musical? Well, AJ, it's the finale, uh, mm-hmm. apparently, which I'll tell you what. First, we listened when I was like, oh, this is the last song. Huh. Yep. W- wild choice. Big, um, big shrug. Big shrug energy. song at the end which is horrible so it's just like yeah really wait guys by the way if you're gonna put a cut song on the end try not to make it a song called too tired because i was exhausted by the time i got to the end of this album and i didn't need a song reminding me of it. oh man i'm here's here's the thing is that we we have very differing opinions on too tired because Ooh, i like too oh tired. you like too tired i like do you know tired. where it was supposed to go yes um so this was after uh her dad's death this was between, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Because yeah. Ian, Ian in the musical, like gives a eulogy. He has a song where he sings a eulogy for Laura's father. And oh, which is not on the album, but is in the show. Because right? yeah, there's like four yeah. songs that are not on this album, but yeah. are in in the show. Okay, yeah. gotcha. And uh, okay. she uh, and she's so disgusted, I guess, by it, or just like so turned off from Ian that you know she chases after Rob like she does in the movie, and they get mm-hmm. into a car and they sleep together. Right. Uh, and it's um, and that's also a line from the movie is too tired. She's just like, I'm too tired not to be with you. Mm-hmm. And then that that turns into the song at the end of the thing. And, the, you know, it's interesting because Laura doesn't really get a lot in this show. Like Laura herself, because we are so much in Rob's head. And right. uh, that song was supposed to like shine a light into her like existence. I'm too tired not to be with you. I'm too sad, I feel too bad, and I can't deal with anyone new. So you're hired, I'll bet you like it too. It's either that or do myself harm. Stub a cigarette out on my arm. I guess sex will have to do Cause I'm too tired not to be with you But the problem is they wrote a better song called uh, Settle For You. Uh, Settle For You? Right. Uh, uh, ready to ready Settle. To settle. Uh, Which she, does, she doesn't sing that, right? That's she the, doesn't. That's the singer. Uh, that's the singer character played by um, Lisa Bonet in the movie. Just like me, alone and sad, and in 
Should say it, for those of you who haven't listened, mm-hmm. but our our Broadway enthusiast, this is uh, Jen Colella, um, as Tony Laura. Award nominee from uh, Come From Away, on her way to that yes. to that role. <laughs> not, this not was a layover yet. in Iceland, and then small she eventually little bit. Ba- yeah, there, you've yeah. got to put in your time. It's I'm sorry, the, not Iceland, the... Newfoundland. What's wrong with me? <laughs> That's the whole point. They sing it so many times in Come From Away. Oh, you want to talk about somebody, by the way, who is having a tough time? She 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 had come off of Urban Cowboy oh, and uh, no. was, was on her way to Chaplin. Oh uh, so no! <laughs> before she landed uh, the another mediocre but longer running show, If Then. Um, oh my god! But, How uh, long did If Then run for? I thought a year. Ran for a year. Well, that's not bad. Not bad. No, not at all. But again, thoroughly mediocre. Yeah. Uh, it so. But in any event, she. Just, this is, and you'll recognize her voice instantly. Oh, when absolutely! She starts, yeah, start singing. Um, she has a great song early, where he's fantasizing about her having sex with her new her new guy, Ian. Yes, um, number five with a bullet, which number does five rule. with a bullet. It's a good which song. Which is a which? If you've heard a song from this show, it's probably number five with a bullet. Like that's yeah. the one that pops up on if you, it just sort of random. Spotify, you know, if you hit shuffle on Broadway songs, that one will probably, that's the one that probably comes up from this show. Yeah, it's also the one that, like, I think they did a lot for, like, press stuff. It was that and Mm -hmm. uh, Desert Island Top 5 were the two that they would sing for, like, press events and stuff. Um, But I think number five with a bullet actually would sell the show better because it it rules. (laughs) Yes. The problem is it isn't Rob's song. So, like, selling the show with a song for a character who, like you say, has not a lot to do. She's not on the poster! (laughs) But I really enjoyed, personally. Yeah. Um, I slept with someone who handled Kurt Cobain's intervention. Yes. Uh, which is is again, that was the moment. There's this this three song se- sequence right in the middle of the show, mm-hmm. where Robin and Laura talk to each other, and they both admit that they she slept with the end, and he slept with with the singer, mm-hmm. and he sings, "I slept with someone who slept with Lyle Lovett." And he's very excited about this. Yeah. And then she sings, I slept with someone who handled Kurt Cobain's intervention. And then they both sing together. They both sing at this reprise of I slept with someone. Yeah. As a sequence, it's a wonderful listen. Yes. You're really just like, you get to see this train of thought evolve. Mm. Where like, especially in, and I think it's really Amanda Green's moment to shine as the lyricist in, yes. in her version. Where the way lyrically and musically we get to the fact that each character is not happy with what they did, really. Like, he's yeah. putting on a lot of, like, isn't it so cool I slept with someone who slept with Lyle? Love it. Yeah. But then he sort of gets to the end of it, and he's like, well, I mean, but ultimately it was unsatisfying. And then she really has the, like... <laughs> I slept with someone who handled Kurt Cobain's intervention. A fact which all too often he's all too glad to mention. And what is that? to brag about I wouldn't go and shout it cause it really didn't go so well when you think about it but I won't think about it or why my jaw keeps clenching or the fact that when he's mounting me I feel this mounting tension I 
someone who handled Kurt Cobain's intervention. Well, and she also says, like, and if I had my druthers, I would have slept with Kurt Cobain, which is a great yes. insight into her character that, like, yes. it, it, it explains why she goes back to Rob and doesn't stay yeah. with the man who apparently gives her, like, nine orgasms? Like, like this sex right. sounds great, except for the yeah. fact that he won't stop bringing up the fact that he handled well, Kurt and Cobain's she, intervention. But, like, it, it, there's something about his, like, because there's a li- line in there, too, where she's like, he massages me for hours and hours and hours and by like the third time you sort of realize she's like and i wish he wouldn't like it really doesn't it's too much yeah. and it like it's that aggressive touchy feelingness that he that is actually a character who i think is is handled better in the musical than he is in the movie because like tim robbins as the kind of like hippy dippy yeah. boyfriend is it continues to be not how i envision that character based on the book interesting i, I don't really it's one of those things that I I think lo- loses translation from England to America. Okay. Where like I've yeah. seen that character in like British sitcoms, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit less like nouveau. Like, I don't know. It feels like a Woody Allen character in the in the in the movie. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, this a little bit. Yeah. Very very stereotypical. And in in the book, my vision of it anyway, while reading it, was a lot more like like he's he's earthy and he's crunchy. But he's also like, you know, he's just British. Like there's just some other kind of extra like he went to university, like he went to school. He's something practical about him. Right, right, right. And I don't understand how Tim Robbins' character gets dressed in the morning. Like, yeah, he doesn't no, seem to absolutely have that, not. That like, man is a train wreck. All, at all. <laughs> and it's just yeah. And this so the musical does a nice job of taking what but, but if you put that character in a musical, it suddenly makes a lot more sense. Like he's a lot more yes. his, his over the topness feels much more much more true to the world. And I like his song Ian's here. Uh, yeah, I, I like that they rhyme Ian with European. I think that's yeah, very clever. Like Ama- the thing about Amanda, I Green- think the lyrics in general are very good. Uh, yeah, so. I think they're very, very strong. You know, Amanda Green, yeah. obviously, you know, the daughter of Adolf Green. You yeah, know, good stock. Uh, yeah, yeah. A very, you know, uh, grew up sort of around this stuff and has a really good ear for things. Um, you know, the, there's a line that I think about a lot in Last Real Record Store. Um, it's the best. That's final. Find the finest vinyl is mm-hmm. so enjoyable to just like mm-hmm. say. It's it, like it feels very good in the mouth there has to be a better way to say that um no i think it's good mouth feel it's, it's got a good me. mouth feel to it's it. got a good mouth feel. um you know and she mean? she says she rhymes um uh i slept with someone who handled kurt cobain's intervention i slept someone who is really good at frenchin i think is the line yeah but uh, intervention with frenchin is a very fun rhyme yeah and then every once in a while they'll just be a slur um <laughs> because it's well, 2006 and so why not much, and and she's a boomer like you do forget yeah that, like that's true i i did not fully realize i will admit until today mm-hmm. how old she was because i yeah. thought from her track record like we say she did this bring it on mm-hmm. hands on a hard body yeah and mr saturday night yeah and in my head she was like my age yeah sure you know what I mean? And she was just like she was she was a lyricist, composer, she was on her way up, she was like figuring it out and she hadn't had a hit yet, but when she does, oh my god. And then today I was yeah. just like, I should really look her up. Yeah. And then it was like, Oh, she's Adolph Green's daughter. Oh, I knew that from something. Oh wow, I know how old he is. How old Oh, yep. okay. Yeah. Got you. Okay, she's she's my parents' generation. Okay. Well, she also like Got she you. makes a passing reference to Sally Struthers, and I'm like, yes, in two th- in the year of our Lord two thousand six, Sally Struthers. 
What is this, Gilmore Girls? If for you're shame, out sir. on the road, look out for Lyle <laughs> Lovett. He's coming for you. Now, it's, uh, it is nice. Lyle Lovett also feels very cathartic because the joy of Amanda Green getting to write a song about a songwriter that inspired her to like actually yes. like go into the business is pretty. Yeah. It's pretty nice. Pretty cool. and, the, and the joy like radiates out into you. You feel excited. And they do like mm-hmm. a Kevin Bacon bit where they do the yeah, five which degrees is good. of separation. Oh, that's so which good. Is a great payoff and mostly when this score does comedy it falls yes. flat into the earth like it falls yes. on its face and then burrows like three feet underground yes. 40 feet down it's done yeah but this song really lands mm-hmm. the comedy and as you said i think it's probably the most enjoyable sequence in the entire show um, yeah it feels really good it just has a really good it's one of those moments in shows like this and one of the reasons why i think musicals like this i can see you getting obsessed with it and it hooking in you yeah just like chess because there's stuff in it that super works mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you kind of go okay so just do that more like why yeah. aren't you doing that every time why does it work here and it doesn't work here yeah and then it works again like how is it not? i don't <laughs> like, under- you, i don't understand it. it's a mixtape right like rob opens yeah. the show by explaining what makes a perfect mixtape you don't want to have like right. two uh, tracks by the same artist back to back. You don't want to blow your wo- load too early. And this show feels like kind of like an amateurish mixtape to me. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it, it's a whole, it's so many different genres that it covers and none of it ever congeals into a greater whole. So all you could ever really have are like really great hits. It's like, let's do a mixtape where you were like, you recognize one in every four songs and it's like your jam. And then, then mm-hmm. you have to suffer through two more like, I, I, I don't know, like, um, imagine dragon songs before you're right, able to like, just, hit another yeah, big one. It's got some album filler yeah. on it. It, yeah. it, it, it. And it certainly does sort of have those those moments. There's, there's several songs in here that are good ideas, like 9% Chance. If you listen to that song, you're like, okay, get, I get the game here. I get what you're playing for. Yeah. But it ultimately just like it's so boring it's such a boring song that's the thing is that when it's bad it's not awful it's nothing yeah i don't have any response i'm like yep i'm definitely three minutes older yeah and that's really time has passed and that is the most frustrating thing Mm -hmm. because like if you're gonna fail man I want to see, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I would much rather see someone run headfirst into a wall. Yeah. You know, than kind of like slowly, gingerly, and then trip. You know, like you really want them to like fail at full speed. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Fail at full speed. Well, speaking of failing at full speed, conflict resolution. uh, (laughs) Holy shit. If it was all that, this would be amazing. (laughs) Yes. If it was all like that. Just, but but this is the kind of thing where you sit with your head in your hands and you're like, this had to, so many people had to say yes for this to get to the stage. You had to rehearse this a lot. A lot. And in a cast where I'm pretty sure was all white. I I could not in any of my Mm. watchings or any of my research find. Okay. Yeah. Anything that, that indicated that there was a single uh, black actor in the show. Sure. And. Any, they should have because they've been like, hey, maybe choose any other musical style, uh, but Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg for your final bit of yeah. conflict resolution. Don't or, have Will Chase say suck on my big black for example. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't yeah, do it. Don't, don't do it. And because the thing is, if you're going to do that, 
you first of all have to like sort of set that up earlier that like we're gonna like you gotta be like listen this is this kind of thing's gonna happen in the show yeah but b you then have to really again you have to run at it at full speed you yeah. have to go so far over the top mm-hmm. that it's super clear what's going on because it really it's brake screeching when you're listening to it the first time you're just yep. like, what is what, ha- what, what is happening? What is happening right now? And and this was the sequence you know, that was praised. Like this was the one the critics critics freaking loved because it was a reset. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, uh, long before um, uh, satisfied, <laughs> right? Sure. This was this was a like rewind, go on yes. forward with the scene. Rewind, yes. go on forward with the scene. Um, right. And the first two parts of the song, I think, are fine because it's ACDC, right, and Beastie Boys, mm-hmm. right? White artists. That's fine. Right. Choose any other white music. There any are so direction. many of them. This show so opens with an places. acoustic guitar, the siren song of every white boy everywhere. They come oh, flocking yes. to this thing. Oh, and yes. They, they, it's so baffling that they just... <laughs> That they do the voices too. That they just they do yeah, the voices. That's the thing. The that's really the the moment where you're like, guys, no, yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. And not. also, like, because they did set this up with she goes right. Because I didn't realize that the woman who's saying she goes is also white, uh, and that's oh, an Aretha sure. Franklin song. So, right. oops. Uh, oops. Yeah. So it's not like this is the first example in the show of this happening, but it is certainly the most like, oh, no, <laughs> like, right. Because the first one you could be like, OK, like it, it's Aretha Franklin esque, but she's not like putting on a voice necessarily. She's just like singing it as herself. So mm-hmm. it, it toes that line of maybe it's fine. But like this is this is <laughs> un- unforgivable. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't this isn't good Mm-mm. this yeah because it, it yeah it really isn't it it ah man i was really man I, I put this on i was really like okay like i'm gonna i'm gonna dig into this and i just i did and <laughs> like i say i'm like it's it's an hour long and i'm an hour older after each listen <laughs> so yep, yep. Yep. It's not it really I was really looking for something in there to be like there like there's the golden nugget. And I found some like I say I found there's moments I enjoy. Mm-hmm. There's moments I would recommend people go check out, but there's nothing in here I'm like throwing on my like on a playlist to be on like, your oh, top 5 for out. example. And enough it wouldn't fit. No, it wouldn't uh, mm-hmm. it wouldn't go. Um yeah. Because it is just it's it's I think because they've they missed sort of what the central conflict of this is. Mm. They also missed the time though. Like this book, yeah, is such a mid nineties thing. Exactly, and the, yeah. it's such an it, it is really like it was a small small period in time. Yeah, where like. Like the independent film movement was breaking and Kevin Smith was interesting. And like, here we are like clerks is, and I still stand behind clerks. The clerks is a great movie, but like, sure. I was also 14. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's my, like, that's my jam. That's my space. That's the sweet spot. Yeah. But now we're making clerks three and I have to ask why. (laughs) And I like, whatever the man can do whatever he wants. I think he's fine. He's not hurting anybody, but still like he made tusk. I I, know. I know. Tusk. No, everybody's favorite walrus movie. Tusk. Uh, no, I'm not going to watch that movie. I'm not. Um, I act like I've seen it. it. I haven't. I just. 
And I hate that that's the I, first Kevin Smith movie I could think of before Dogma even is just or even Tusk. How about Red State? That one that that, that everybody oh, saw that nobody saw. Yeah, God, um, I didn't see it. Um, nobody did. It did really like that was a movie I remember being like, this movie's on a tour and it's like he's going around. And it's the tours are all selling out, and then that movie opened and just. <laughs> nobody came oh, um poor kevin smith but I, anyway I, he's fine. he'll be fine he's fine he's totally fine. he's got masters of the universe movie. he's doing great he's doing great and also i do genuinely like i think that i, I really believe like there's the kevin smith is, is a guy to me who's like the hallmark of the example of like the his his fun is harmless i think ultimately sure he is not hurting anyone yeah he is actively trying to do to do good and and be funny in the process. He's very earnest that's, about it. And that's the best of this time period. Like that's mm-hmm. the best of that like mid 90s misanthropic white male comedy thing. Yes. That like went from like 95 to 2000 when it was cute. Yeah. The bad side of that mm-hmm. is the like because in the wrong hands high fidelity is a is it like an incel nightmare about this guy badgering all these women about why they didn't sleep with him. Oh, you Patrick. know like it's yeah. Oh, it's... Patrick, do you know about the British version of High Fidelity the musical? No. Oh. The... Is it Oh, Patrick. Let me different? open your world oh, and no. your mind. I don't they think I staged want you to... High Fidelity and readapted it to be English. It was okay. the lyrics were done by Vicky Stone. I think the book mostly remained the same. Uh, the opening here here's here is but a taste of the lyrical rewrites they did for this. This oh, is no. from the opening number from uh, Last Year Record Store on Earth. I've got my daily crossword and I got a cup of tea. I got a hot but angry girlfriend and a half decent TV. I've got records I've collected one by one and bit by bit, and I play them on a hi-fi that makes your hi-fi look shit. Okay. And if you noticed that those lines don't scan, you're correct. They right. don't fit the music. <laughs> Sure. Almost at all. Uh, and the man they got to play Rob uh, in every review that I read is just like, this man looks like a serial killer. And then you watch him perform it, and he looks like a serial killer. Uh, not his fault, I don't think. Sure. I, I, think he's, I think he's a decent enough singer, but he's singing it in this sort of very creepy, like, American psycho kind of tone. And by that I mean the Duncan Sheik musical American Psycho Town. Right, right, It's right, all I got kind you. of like, you know, <laughs> whispers. Like he's going to send out Death Eaters to take care of his, like, enemies or something. And it's well, he's, he's barely breathing. Yeah, he's barely. <laughs> that's my go-to Duncan Sheik joke. I just can't. Yeah, <laughs> Every Duncan Sheik so- song sounds the same. That's, mm-hmm. that's my that's my Duncan Sheik. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, no. So that that's exactly your point. Like in the wrong mm-hmm. hands. That's what this turns into. And have you seen the TV show? Have you no, seen- I've not. But I've heard excellent things about the TV show. And I would like it, it's on my I, I have three kids. I never watch anything. But oh, like, sure. It is on my list of like my ever growing list of like stuff like when I have time when I'm. 50 uh i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out because it looks really interesting and all the people i know who like thing you know i respect their taste really really enjoyed it there Um, are some really cool dramaturgical stuff they do in that show uh mm -hmm. one of the things is that they make one of the top five one of the record store employees so you know that's interesting so in the musical um let me just look this up here in uh in the musical sarah kendrew uh is the girlfriend that ends up uh being gay uh, midway mm-hmm. through and in right in the show it's you know it's all gender swapped so right uh, it's zoe kravitz as rob 
and uh, one of the guys that she dates ends up being gay, and then that guy turns into the dick role in in the uh, oh okay in the actual sure. space, and so that's really that that's plays. really fun. Yeah. Like I think it, it yeah. makes a lot of smart dramaturgical choices, and it's also a lot easier to swallow because it's Zoe Kravitz. And she just radiates music knowledge. I think there's just yes. some part of her that is just like you trust her opinion on all music things, and she's so good. She's so good in this show. I don't listen to this musical. Don't be like me. Don't obsess about this musical. Go watch the High Fidelity show on Hulu. It's such a good time. It's one season, so it'll break your heart. But I mean, the whole right. thing's about heartbreak anyway. Sure. So isn't that That's fun? That's the point. That's yeah. the point. There um, you go. I do disagree with you on one thing, because there is one song oh. in the show that I think is on my top five. Okay. Which is, what is that? Wild. It's Laura Laura. Uh, I love this song. Okay. Unironically, I love this song. And it is because it does something dramaturgically that is so above and beyond what everything else in the show is doing that it I'm a little gobsmacked that it's part of the, the part of like the rest of the whole. So I think Tom Kitt is like one of the greatest arrangers of like all yes. time. Yes, yes. No, I would 100% agree with that. That's his real strength. Yeah, SpongeBob absolutely rules. The fact that all those yeah. songs sound like they're in the same show makes you wonder how he couldn't do it for this show and make all of these songs sound like they're kind of in the same show. Um, yes. uh, American Idiot, uh, uh, the musical, I think, is is not a very good musical, but it is one of the greatest cast albums, I think, of mm-hmm. all time. And that's sure. mostly because of his just incredible arrangements. And he mm-hmm. has a trick that he uses in every one of his shows. He weaponizes this thing called the strings of great emotional depth. And he just plays these chords on strings that make you feel something, that like reverberate in your soul. The first time I came into contact with him, I think was in uh, What's Her Name at the end of American Idiot, where all of a sudden Mm. these violins come in. And in the darkest night. And it just like you, it makes you feel like this horrible melancholy. And the end of that song that ends on that unresolved mm-hmm, is just, it's it's unreal and it's unparalleled. And he weaponizes them to great effect in Laura Laura, because we've watched Rob throughout the entire show. This braggadocious guy, right? He's got a whole rock band behind him. It's guitars. He does a Bruce Springsteen number that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine. Perfectly it's cromulent good. song. Throughout the whole thing, he's been putting up all these fronts, right? It's like, you know, well, uh, fuck her because, you know, she left me. Or like, you know, it's all these... It's all my ex-girlfriend's fault for making me the mm-hmm. way that I am. And then he's running out of excuses, right? Until right. he's actually forced to face himself as the most pathetic man in the world. And he's stripped bare, and we get this song where he just has a piano behind him. 
this haunting melody of this like repetitious thing of this guy stuck in a rut, right? He's just, he's trying to get uphill, but he keeps falling back down the piano scales. He keeps trying to get uphill, but he keeps falling back down. But he's trying desperately for once in his life to like tell something honest to somebody. And it just happens to be the love of his life. The one that he let get away. And I think that, I think it's beautiful. There's a line in it that goes, it's become my trade in stock to always jump from rock to rock, which makes no sense. The trade, the phrase is stock and trade, like trade and right. stock. Like it doesn't make any goddamn sense, but it hits, it hits my heart because this is a guy who is so unused to expressing himself emotionally. He does not have the vocabulary and he's trying so hard just to be like, Hey, I fucked up. I'm genuinely sorry. Um, there's an internal rhyme of him like saying, please accept my small apology, which mm-hmm. is just so clever lyrically. And at the end of the first stanza of the song, it's just been piano. But when he goes into the second verse, like his, he could stop at any time. That's what I always love about musical numbers is that at any point the characters could stop singing, but they mm-hmm. have to choose to go on. They have to choose to keep going. Or in terms of Sondheim, they're having a panic attack and they can't stop talking. Right. <laughs> they just go, 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 go. But he hits that second verse and then the violins come in and it's the violins of great emotional depth. And they're just mm-hmm. like, Rob, you got this, man. You're doing the right thing. You're for once in your goddamn life. Just do this. Just open up to somebody. And he's finally able to. And he's not belting. It's a high song, but it's not like he's scrolling his face off. He mm-hmm. actually ends the song in this very gorgeous and kind of sad falsetto. But he can't sustain it because he's not used to actually speaking or singing in that mode in this show. And I think it's Mm. a wonderful acting moment from Will Chase where he actually lets the song finish with the music behind him. It's not him power belting to the end. It's him very meekly and apologetically like actually apologizing for hitting that note or being that vulnerable. And he's rewarded because Laura forgives him. It works. God damn it. This song works, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) but then we have another song we we do and it sucks (laughs) and it sucks so much in comparison he ends in this place of true penance on a note between notes wavering leaping into an abyss that might not have a net and he gets caught by i want to turn the world off and turn you on yeah which would be which would be fine, honestly, if that was a better song. Yeah. Like, there's something about, like, if you just wrote a straight rock, four-on-the-floor stomper for everyone to, like, bounce their way out of the theater on, didn't try to do too much, Yeah, I'd be okay. Because it's like a coda number. You know what I mean? It's like, now we need it. That number was great, but now we need to kind of, like, wrap up the rest of the characters, so here's your big finale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not what they do. Like, turn to, you. Turn, they're trying... Again, they're trying something else. They're trying a joke yeah. in that moment. And as we all know, there's nothing worse than someone trying to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> so it just doesn't... Because I hadn't... I Honestly, I like your explanation of that. I had not honestly thought about Laura Laura that way. But I like that a lot. I think oh. it, it, it really works. And it shows that there is... There is intelligence behind the craft in this. There Absolutely. is like thought. There is work. But again, I think it might just be too clever by half. I think we just yeah. haven't... Like you missed it. You just just you missed the you mark. Went past it. Just come come back. You were there. 
and now we're we're some yeah. somewhere else. So AJ, tell the folks about the worst of all possible worlds. Sure. Uh, so I co-host a podcast with my friends Josh Barman and Brian Alford. It's called The Worst of All Possible Worlds. We do weekly case studies in the pop culture of a dying empire. Uh, mostly we talk about a lot of evangelical Christian media. There is a radio play called Adventures in Odyssey, which has been running for 30 years and is evangelical <laughs> Simpsons, basically. And right. I had, did not grow up with it. I grew up Catholic in San Diego, California, and uh, they grew up uh, um, Protestant in um, Michigan and New Mexico, respectively. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they grew up with this stuff and are just inflicting it on me in this nightmarish hell that I find myself living in. And uh, yeah, we also talk about uh, video games and uh, we do a lot of musicals. We have an episode on Dear Evan Hansen that's very near and dear Evan Hansen to my heart. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, we... uh, it's a good time if you like things it is it's a very good time uh it's it is it is especially hilarious for me uh being i think about 10 years older than you guys Mm. um listening to especially the television stuff Uh, if if you're looking for a jumping on point dear listener i mean yes dear evan hansen great there's also a west side story episode but may i recommend the 24 episode which i i found oh yeah wonderfully hilarious uh oh you're as somebody, is an amazing guest yeah uh, yes yes absolutely wonderful guest and but as someone who watched that show from the jump weekly wow in college, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in college my wife and i but we were dating at the time but like we we watched that every week that was like we just decided like we're gonna watch this show and it was we watched the whole first season and then like the fifth season i don't quite remember which one but in any event that was fun to listen to and also the studio 60 on the sunset strip episode um yes because that show continues to be the most confounding series ever put to air correct uh, yeah written by people who i don't think have seen an episode of saturday night live it's just absolutely wonderful <laughs> it is um, it is a really good time you do cast a very very wide net which i greatly like you say you talk about video games talk about tv shows movies musicals like there's a lot it is it is a lot of podcasts say like, "Oh, we're about culture," and then it's just movies. You know what I mean? Like right. pretty much the whole way through. This is a, this is actually about culture. There's a lot of you do like, and your bonus episodes on things like Screw Tape Letters and and like yeah. you're, you're drawing from all different all different uh, all different places. Yeah, so I greatly. S- Screw Tape was that. fun. I got to write um, an entire alternate side. I uh, the replies to the Screw Tape Letters. Um, I write mm-hmm. the commercials every week. We don't have sponsors, so I just make them up, and uh, and I got to write a. Re- a rebuttal for the screw tape letters um, from Wormwood to from screw Wormwood's tape. point of view. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and it was really oh, fun uh, that I don't like that book very much, but uh, it was very fun to sort of live in that, in that headspace. You know, if you, if you dig around on YouTube, dear viewer, hmm. you can probably find a short film I made in college oh. of one chapter of the screw tape letters, wherein I believe I play Wormwood in a long black trench coat, Mm. And sunglasses. It's in black and white. I'm also the narrator, so I'm also screw. <laughs> your screw. Your screw tape and wormwood. Wow. I'm screw tape and wormwood, and I wrote the screenplay. Wow. AJ, I'll say how. Thank you so much for for doing this. Where can people find you on the internet? Should they wish to? Oh, sure. So uh, I'm on Twitter at the Fuzzy Mask, and I'm on Instagram at the Fuzzy Masked Man. If you go to my Instagram. I'm very proud of this, but uh, over the pandemic, I adapted the island of Dr. Moreau into Animal Crossing. 
Uh, it's called Lost Horizons, <laughs> and I uh, it, to the. I mean, the problem is, is that. It's so it's really good, and um, I made it in the throes of a deep, deep pandemic per- depression. I think, as you know, most of us had while we were right. in quarantine. Um, and it's one of the things I'm most proud of that I've ever made. So uh, go check that out. It's all in the, it's all saved in my stories underneath. You can start at the beginning and then see how it kind of develops over time. I eventually got my actor friends to start like playing the characters <laughs> in the game and like filming little logs of themselves. Um, oh and one of them is my co-host Brian uh, on the Worst of Possible Worlds, and uh, it's really lovely. I'm also I don't know if you like websites ajdiddy.com for all your ajdiddy.com needs. And yeah, listen, listen, honestly, if you see me on the street and you want to talk about high fidelity, I'm here because we've talked for like an hour and a half already about this, and I still I could talk about it for the rest of my life. And <laughs> that is time. my curse. That that is <laughs> that is my burden. This is the cross you bear <laughs> here. Oh my gosh. AJ, thank you so much. Thank you, Patrick. This was so fun. I made a list of everything that's gone on between you and me. And even an idiot like me could see. No matter how you add it up, when you read the bottom line. The fault was usually mine The stupid things I've said and done If I could change just even one The thing I'd say would be so sorry The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for t-shirts, tote bags, magnets, and more. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast, at the movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to AJ Diddy for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. So sorry.